If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. We're going to spend a few weeks in these verses. They're verses that you are familiar with. I think they're verses that we all have read, all have probably studied at one time or another. But listen to what it says. Verses 35 through 38 in Matthew chapter 9. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What do we know that by? The Great Commission. That we are to go out into the world. And we want to take a look at these verses over the next several weeks and just kind of dig a little bit deeper and see what they have to say for us. I've entitled this sermon, Dangerous Christianity. In fact, this is part one of two of the same sermon uh, because there's just so much uh, that needed to be said. But the first thing I want you to understand and want you to see, it's in your outline, is what a dangerous prayer is. And I'm going to ask us here in a few minutes to, to listen to this dangerous prayer. It's very simple, very concise. But I guarantee you, if you place it in your heart and you truly believe it, it can truly be dangerous. Now, I don't mean like jumping out of an airplane or driving your car down 7,415 miles an hour, getting away from a policeman. Not saying that kind of dangerous, okay? But what it may do in our life. This simple prayer comes from a professor from Dallas uh, Seminary. And it was after a tsunami hit the coastline of the Indian Ocean. And he just emailed this simple prayer back to the States for people to pray. The prayer is simply this. It's in your outline. Lord, do things we're not used to. Lord, do things we're not used to. Think about that for just a moment. What would that mean for us? What would that mean for you? Again, like I said, it's a very simple, very clear, a very concise prayer. I'm pretty sure all of us can probably remember that one pretty easily. But my question is, what are we going to do with it? You see, if God ever truly begins to do things we're not used to, if God will begin to change us into something or somebody we're not used to, why? Because we like to be consistent. We like to have everything's kind of in a row. We like to be able to do what we do. And I'll admit, I get in this rut. I get up in the morning. First thing I do is I go in, brush my teeth, and I don't comb my hair. That doesn't really need to be happening every morning. But I usually head over to Perry's and have coffee with the guys. That's how my day starts, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. Some yes, some no, but consistently. But what would happen if God started to do things that we aren't used to? I truly believe the world as we know it would be turned upside down. I truly believe that. If God would truly start doing things that we're not used to, I think the world will be turned upside. It's a good thing, and it's a frightening thing to ask God to literally blast us out of our comfort zones, to blast us out of what we're used to, to blast us out of the consistent things that we have gotten to like in our life. 
And you know what I mean. We go to certain restaurants because we like what they serve and how they serve it. And no matter where you go, it's consistent. You know, and I can think of Cracker Barrel. We used to love Cracker Barrel and go all those. We went this last week, and we were really disappointed. The food was not good, you know. It's just like, and we've been not going there for a while because Sandra had worked there for at one time and all those things. And now it's like, I don't care if I go back. It wasn't consistent. But what would happen if we started to ask God this, and he started to pull us away from what the world would call, or what we might call the status quo, and actually start to do things that would make us a little bit uncomfortable, start to make us do things we're not used to. You see, I truly believe Jesus specialized in making people feel uncomfortable. I think he did. And I don't think he did it on purpose. I don't think he did it just to be mean, but I think he did it for a reason. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do? And Jesus said, all you have to do is give everything you have to the poor. In other words, sell everything you have. And he was rich. And this says, then come follow me. He said, the God of the Bible is not the God of the status quo. In other words, God's not a God that just wants things to stay the same all the time. God's not a God who just wants us to kind of go through life on the easy paths and there's roses everywhere and there's pretty flowers and the grass is always green and everything's easy because we know life is not that way. You see, that has always been God's method. When God wanted to change the world, he found Noah and he had Noah do something that had never been done before and that was to build an ark for something that had never happened before for it to rain. And he used Noah to do so. When God wanted to bring forth a great nation, he called a successful middle-aged businessman named Abram and told him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go to this land that he did not know. You see, when God wanted to deliver his, his people, he found a man slow of speech named Moses and sent him to talk to Moses. When the Lord needed someone to hide the spies from Jericho, he found a prostitute named Rahab to do his work. When God needed someone to defeat Goliath, he chose a shepherd boy named David. When God wanted to deliver his people from destruction, he chose a young girl named Esther. When Christ wanted some men to be in his inner circle, when God wanted these men to do what he was trying to do and to teach them to go into this world, he found fishermen and tax collectors. He found a loud mouth named Peter. He called two brothers, called the sons of thunder, and told them, I want you to drop everything. And follow me. You know, Jesus could have said, you know, guys, I know you fish during the week, but how can you follow me on the weekend? How about doing this thing on the weekend? Now he chose people out of their life to do great things for them. Talk about doing things you're not used to. And I'm going to repeat, God is not a God of the status quo. So understand this. No one wants it. No one really likes it. And what is that? Change. Okay? No one wants it. No one likes it. And I can guarantee you, even babies in the nursery don't like change all the time. Okay? Our granddaughter's at that point. You lay her on the floor to change the diaper. And she's everywhere. She's fighting you. She's squirming because she doesn't like change. And we're that way. You see, simple truth is this. Everyone wants progress in the world, but no one wants or likes change. 
And that one statement summarizes the problem facing almost every church in America. We all want progress, but no one wants change. We all want to make progress in reaching the world, but no one wants things to change how we do it. And I don't mean, please, please understand, when I'm talking change, I'm not saying we have to do all these new things, but I'm saying we may need to do things a little bit different. And I'm going to use changing the time for worship. You know, and I'll, I'll admit, when we were talking about that, and I went to this conference, and it's one of those deals that, you know, we did it after, I went to the conference after we made the change. And some of you may say, well, worshiping at 930 and then having church at, or Sunday school at 1030, it wasn't broke. You know, so why did we break it? You know, sometimes things aren't broke, but they still need to be broken to make good change. Okay? Same thing in our life. Sometimes we have habits in our life that need to be broken to make positive change in what we do. You see, change propels us out of our comfort zone. Change forces us out of our ruts. Change destabilizes our routine. Change challenges our priorities. Change disrupts our plans. Change causes us to ask new questions and seek new answers to old questions. Change introduces us to a whole new set of problems. Change opens the door to exciting opportunities. Change stretches us in ways we don't want to be stretched. Change upsets the apple cart. Change kicks us out of the recliner. Change rearranges our schedule. You see why nobody likes change? Because it does all these things. So we say we don't like it. You see, if you want what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done. And most of us know the insanity of doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for the same results. And sometimes I think God looks down from heaven and says, you know what? It's time for a change. It's time for us to do something different. And I'm not done preaching, so don't get excited because I set my Bible down. Okay? Just, I need both hands for an example. Okay? For an illustration. John Maxwell describes it this way. We go through life and we do things over and over again. He described it like this. We do things, and we hit the top, and we fall, okay? We fail, we fall. We keep doing it, you know. Do the same thing, we fall. Same thing, we fall, okay? So John Maxwell's going like this for about 20 minutes. And he says, we do this all of our life. We keep doing it over and over again. He says, at some point, God's in heaven saying, stop. It's stupid. Stay down for a little while. Okay? And that's kind of what we do with our Christian life. It's kind of what we do in our churches. We keep doing the same thing over and over again, even though we fell and don't get back up at times. Now, I was taught playing football. If you get hit and you get knocked down, what do you do? You get up. And you get up as quick as you can because you don't want to know they hurt you. Okay? But sometimes, sometimes when you hit and you fall, sometimes it's good just to, what's going on? Okay, John Maxwell, I think, also said, when the horse you've been riding has died, what do you do? For the love of everything holy, dismount. Okay? If you're riding a dead horse, what's happening? You ain't going nowhere. Okay? Now, please, understand, I'm not saying things we're doing in the church or people we're doing in the church are dead horses. I'm not saying that. Okay? But there's some things in our life that we keep trying and we keep trying and we get knocked down. Maybe it's time to try something different. 
And remember what I said. God is not the God of the status quo. In fact, Jesus said, So the Father sent his Son into the world. He came into his own, and his own received him not. He was light, and the light was the light of men. In him are the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. In what we read earlier, God gave us his marching orders. He told us what we needed to do to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And I truly believe that means we start with ourselves right here, first and foremost. We make sure we're doing what God wants us to do. Then when we go out from these doors, we go out into the uttermost parts of the world. I know you're saying, well, it's just for Maine County. It's just Fountain County. But you don't know whose life you might touch. And by touching their life, it may reach clear across the world one day because of what you do. Folks, this is the great commission of Jesus. Our God is not the God of the status quo. First, he shakes us up, and then he uses us to shake up the world, for people to see him and to see the church and to see Christians in a different way. If the world is going to be changed, I truly believe the church must be changed. And if the church is going to be changed, we must be changed. Why? Because we are the church. We are the church. You see, I truly believe we desperately need to be shaken out of our complacency. I truly believe God needs to shake the foundations, not just only of the church, but of our lives. And I don't mean for him to come to cause some catastrophe in our life, but I think we need to shake it up a little bit. We need to be moved out of our materialism. We need to be moved out of all this stuff that just because I want it, I get it. You know, Because I can, I will. I truly believe we need to be awakened from our slumber. I think we need to be awakened to what's going on in the world. I think we need to be convicted of our indifference. We need to be shocked out of our lethargy that we might become what God wants us to become. And I guarantee you, if you pray that prayer, God, do things in my life. And what I love about that, that do things, it's not specific. You're not saying something specific. You're just saying, God, do something in my life. See, I think we have to take certain expected steps in order to be able to do what God is asking us to do. And we must do it in place. And I, I guarantee you, if we do it the way Jesus tells us to do it, we're going to do it in ways that we're not used to. You see, in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus lays out the principles of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, in verses 8, or chapters 8 and 9, he displays his power. I mean, he shows how powerful he, he is, and here's what he does. In chapters 8 and 9, he cleanses the lepers. He heals the centurion's son. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He calms the sea, casts out demons in the swine, heals the paralytic, heals the woman, raises the dead, gives sight to the blind, gives speech to the man who is mute. That's all. That's just in two chapters. That's the background of the general statements in verse 35. He says, everywhere he went, he healed people and crowds flocked to him. Then if you go to chapter 10, he calls his disciples and sends them out. And I want you to understand something happens at the end of chapter 9 with his disciples. The disciples go from spectators to missionaries. 
They go from standing in the background to somebody who's going out and doing the job. And the same thing has to happen to us. In verse 36, he says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Focus on those three words, seeing the crowds. I truly believe this morning, folks, it starts with seeing. It starts with seeing. I truly believe it's quite possible to look at something and see nothing at all. Okay, I truly believe that. I think it's possible for us to see and not see anything at all. Why? Because we drive by people every day. We drive by places every day. And some things change and we don't even notice. Why? Because we've gotten used to it. We've gotten used to it. Or it's been a slow, gradual change. great example that I'm going to use, I'm going to embarrass him, is Larry losing all his weight. You know, he's lost it over a period of time. If you've seen a picture of him when he started to where he is now, he's half the man he used to be, literally, you know. But a lot of us don't know, even though I have coffee with Larry about every morning, when he showed me that picture, it's like, wow. I about said holy cow, but I don't want to use that illustration, you know. And it's that way. We just kind of got used to it, didn't we? But we do that with the world. We do that with our neighbors. We do that with each other, I'm afraid. It says, Jesus saw the multitudes. And understand, that's hard to do. I've been in and out of so many airports, and I've been in so many conferences with thousands and thousands of people. It's easy to sit and daydream while the crowds pass by. But Jesus says he saw the crowds. Now, I don't know about you, but crowds make me tired. When I go to like the leadership conference in uh, Chicago, 11,000 people in one sanctuary. You go get a Coke, you got to fight the crowd. Go get a cup of coffee, you got to fight the crowd. To go to the restroom, you have to fight the crowd, okay? You know, it just wears you out. But Jesus says he saw the crowds. When the crowds come, it's easy to say, leave me alone. When you're busy and you're tired and there's people coming, you just say, I've seen enough people. And Jesus had been busy for days. It says he's been preaching in every village and town. In other words, Jesus had this nonstop itinerary where ministry should wear him down, and it does, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And when we get to that point, we start tuning people out. You're tired. I'm not going to stop and help that person change their tire. I'm tired. I'm not going to help my neighbor with their leaves. I'm tired. I'm not going to bake that cake for this or that. We forget we have to see. To see the crowds of a world requires something inside. It means redefining my view of those around me. And what I mean by that is this. We begin to see people differently. We begin to see people as Jesus saw them. We begin to see people in need. I truly believe we all have this idea, and we, I think we all do it, where we gravitate people towards what we call PLU, people like us, okay? And we do, whether it be at a, a club or a grocery store or local school or in our churches. By nature, we tend to hang around people who look like us, talk like us, act like us, and think like us, and our kids marry their kids, and we raise our children to fit into this certain social order. That's not wrong, okay? I'm not saying that's wrong. But have you ever had it happen this way, where you're in a crowd, 
Maybe it's 100 people and you don't know anybody, but then you spot that person you know. So suddenly out of this crowd of 100 people, out of 98, you don't know anybody, but man, I finally, I, I see Scott across the room. What do I do? I beeline to Scott. I, my eyes are locked on him. I don't care if he goes left or right. I'm going to him because I want to be with people I know. And what happens to the crowd? <laughs> Nothing. Somebody could have a heart attack right beside me. It's like, no, my, I'm going to go because I want to be with people I know. But if we're ever going to see the crowds as Jesus did, we must open our eyes and break the mold. Jesus saw something the disciples didn't see. Were they blind? No. They just didn't see how he saw. You know, even if we live our lives with the call of God, even if we do all these things, we still get blinded by these things. And the world is full of people who are not like us. And the first step is we have got to see them. We've got to see people not like us. Then the second thing is this. We have to feel compassion. The word means to fill it in our bowels. Okay? That's how the word is translated. It's in our bowels. We talk about the heart, but in the first century it meant something much deeper, much lower. Sometimes we have to talk about having our feeling in our gut. If you watch NCIS, Gibbs has that gut feeling all the time. That's what it is. It's that gut feeling you don't understand, but you go towards it. It means to be emotionally moved by what we see around us. That something triggers our emotion. And I think what that thing that triggers us is this, that we truly know and we truly understand their true condition. Why? Because Jesus said people were like sheep without a shepherd. And he uses two words to describe people of the world. First, he says they were harassed, okay? I want you to understand right here, right now, it wasn't just being harassed like I pick on Larry or I pick on Jeff or Dave or Scott or anybody else. That's not harassment that we're talking about. This word harassed is a very graphic word, and it means this. I don't mean to gross you out, but this is what it means. It means to skin, mangle, fillet, and strip the flesh. That's what these people, that's what Jesus is saying, that he was harassed. They were like sheep that had been ripped and skinned alive. They were harassed and victimized by those who used them and literally tossed them aside. Then the second one is they were helpless. Literally, to be cast down from a mortal wound. They were wounded and left for dead is what it means. Please understand what Jesus is saying. He says, first, we must see. We have to see them. We have to feel them. We have to know them. It says this, until you see, you will not feel. Okay? Until you see people as lost sheep, until you see people as sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless, you will not feel. So until you see, you will not feel. Until you feel, you will not know. Until you know, you will not care. Until you care, you will not pray. Until you pray, you will not go. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Until you see, until you know, until you pray. Folks, the world is full of people. And I can guarantee you, if we open our eyes and we start seeing people in a different light, you're going to see the wounded, you're going to see the bruised, you're going to see the mangled, you're going to see the cast down, you're going to see the bleeding, you're going to see the slowly dying. And the worst part is, they're doing all these things without Jesus. 
And that's where we have to come in. See, as long as you close your eyes, you will never see what Jesus saw. As long as we close our eyes, we will never see what Jesus saw. So we must pray, Lord, do things we're not used to. Open my eyes that I can see. Open my mind, open my heart so I can see what things are going on. Lord, open our eyes that we may see a world through Jesus' eyes. And sometimes it's not hard. Sometimes it's not hard for me to see somebody struggling. Sometimes it's not hard for me to see that, you know, yeah, I really need to do something. But there's other times where we hide it pretty well, okay? And, it, it, and it's true. You know, we hide it. We build these walls and we do all those things. But what we have to do as believers and as Christians and as a church and as being the church, we have to begin to start tearing down those walls brick by brick, moment by moment, very slowly. So that sooner or later that wall starts to come down and they don't see me, they don't see you, but they see Jesus. And that's what it's all about. It's all about seeing him. It's all about knowing him. It's all about following him. It's all about doing what Jesus wants us to do. And I'm going to ask each and every one of us this morning to begin to pray that prayer. In fact, I'm going to dare you to pray that prayer. God, do things that I'm not used to and see what God will do.